0: Welcome to Christchurch. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. I had wondered, with the children's bulletins that we put out, what art and what story the artist decided to put out. I was wondering whether John the Baptist's head on the platter was going to somehow be on the children's bulletin for them to color, and thankfully um, it wasn't. The story is is really, you know, it's a really strange story. I mean, one, Jesus is not even really a character in the story. It's about John, and it's about Herod, and it's about political intrigue. And I mean, it's almost like the days of our lives of the first century because Herod has divorced his wife for his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And it's like this soap opera that's breaking out. And you're sitting there going, now, where is the gospel in all of this? King Herod, um, who this story is about, King Herod, now this is not the King Herod who um, had the babies killed when Jesus was killed, that's that Herod's son, and he's a king in the sense that he has like this little area that he has sort of a fiefdom that he kind of rules, um, and, and so it's, it's, it's the big King Herod's son, that's who this King Herod is, um, And, you know, as you gather from the story, he was married, he gets divorced, and he marries his brother's wife. And John the Baptist was out there preaching about this and telling people that this was wrong, this was immoral, um, he shouldn't be doing this, and, um, and, and, and Herod's wife wants John dead. But John was a rather, I guess, entertaining and engaging person, and we are told in other places that Herod really liked listening to John. And so he had John arrested, and we might think of this more like he was placed in protective custody so that his wife Herodias couldn't kill John. And um, finally, there's this party going on and um, Herod's um, niece-slash-stepdaughter, Um, is dancing for him, and he's really enjoying this dance. And he says, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. You can even have half my kingdom. And she goes to her mother and says, Mom, he's going to give me anything I want. What should I get? And her mom, who has not forgotten the revenge that she wants, says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so he has to do it. He said publicly, whatever you want, you can have. He can't turn back now. So John the Baptist's head is brought up on a platter, and the story seems to end there. But at the very beginning of this, we are told that King Herod believes that Jesus is uh, John the Baptist who has come back to life. We might think of him sort of, uh, maybe, you know, uh, uh, Herod had his mind maybe like, like Jesus was some sort of a ghost. Uh, maybe he came back to life. Um, something was going on and it tormented Herod. You know, he was really wrestling with this thing that he did because he knew it was not the good thing to do. It wasn't right, um, there was no good in it, and it is eating at his soul. And a lot of us are like King Herod, in which there are things that happen in our life that we kind of wrestle with. Sometimes when bad things happen, we apply to the meaning of that happening. Well, that must be because I did this thing. Or, sometimes we just sit there and we carry this baggage of things that we have done and said and things done and left undone in years past, and it is with us in a way that we are unwilling to just let go. It is something that we wrestle with. It is something that we fight with. And if we don't let go of the things that that we place shame and guilt over, it begins to consume us and have power, and we deal with it in really unhealthy ways. This is why in the religious tradition, we have often encouraged people who are weighed down with such things To go and to confess what it is that they have done. Not so that they can be forgiven, because they've already been forgiven in Christ. But so they can be assured that the thing that they are carrying does not need to be carried anymore. Imagine if Herod had the ability to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm wrestling with this and I need to talk to you about it. Now, that's a really obvious example, right? King Herod has a man unjustly killed, and not just unjustly killed, but in a really gruesome way. But what happens about all the little things that happen, or the things that we have to do that maybe we regret doing? I don't know, has anyone here ever had to fire somebody and it just absolutely eats at you? Like you knew it was the right thing to do, you knew it was either because their job performance was bad, maybe the finances required it, but you had to let somebody go, and it just sits there and eats at you? Police officers and military oftentimes experience this because they are called to go and do things that that they wrestle with. Something called moral injury. The very thing may be legal and permissible, but inside it eats at us. And we don't have the language for it because we're saying, well, that's what the thing, you know, the, the spreadsheet said we had to let one person go. And so one person had to be let go. You know, it says we had to go and we had to use force for this thing, so we went and we used force. That's what the procedures would have said, but it wrestles with them and it bears them down. So what do we do with those things that we carry with us that are things that are not easily identified as things we should let go? Forgive for a moment that as a culture, we don't really value people being honest about things. Ever call a company and say, I'm really angry about this thing? And, well, we're sorry you feel that way. Right? They can't take ownership of it. They can't say, oh, well, you're right. This was wrong. David Peters, who is an Episcopal priest and has done a lot of his work on moral injury with um, veterans, has talked about this in his own experience. He was driving his car one day to church. The sun was coming in and was blinding him. Anyone ever had that? And he... Missed a turn, went too wide, and he hit a motorcyclist, killing the motorcyclist. Now, the insurance company said that he wasn't really completely at fault because the sun was coming in, it was bad, you know. And, and, but he says, you know what, I didn't care that the police said I wasn't guilty. I didn't care that the insurance company said it wasn't completely my fault. What happened was is it ate at me, and I carried it with me, and I needed to let it go. I was reading an article recently on this very subject, and it says, when we fail to meet the moral standards that we hold for ourselves, we have a crisis of conscience that psychologists call moral injury. It's a psychological and a spiritual distress resulting from perpetrating, witnessing, or failing to prevent acts of violence that go against our core moral beliefs. Now, every religious tradition has cleansing rituals for moral injury. Altar calls, baptisms, confession, reconciliation, penitential pilgrimages, as this author says. People with moral injury often try to find other paths to ameliorate their guilt. But what makes this unique this morning is that we go and we proclaim that you are forgiven. You can lay down your baggage. You don't have to carry the grief anymore. Few moments here, we're going to baptize, and if anything, baptism is a reunification in which we are marked as Christ's own forever, and that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Grace is the most countercultural thing, and it's something that the Christian church has a unique sort of market in. Because what We are told that in Christ's death and resurrection, that all past, all present, and all future sins have already been forgiven. We just have to accept the grace that is given to us and live as new creation. Amen.